I guess in February of 2012, I um, had started walking with a friend and we'd walk every morning and I just started developing these headaches. So we got an MRI just because they had just happened all of a sudden. And from there, they had discovered that I had a Chiari malformation. Basically, your brain has herniated down your spine and it blocks off all of your spinal fluid. We immediately got me into a neurosurgeon and um, I had brain surgery where they had to remove part of my skull and part of my brain. Well, um, my mother and father moved to Kansas City several years ago uh, to be closer to grandkids. And on that particular day, you know, my sister took one of her sons off to one thing and my dad took my nephew, Reet, to a singing competition. And um, it was at the, located at the Jewish Community Center. And this crazy person who hates Jews walked up to my dad with a shotgun, literally as my father's, he's, he's getting out of the truck. I don't even know if he got both feet on the ground and basically shot him point blank in the head with a shotgun. Um, and then he turned and fired at my nephew who was still in the car, in the, the truck, uh, in the passenger seat and shot him. I just, I think I went into some sort of shock, but there really wasn't, it was almost disbelief at that time. I was like, what? It doesn't make any sense. My dad's an avid shooter, hunter, but I knew that he had taken my nephew to that, uh, or was supposed to be taking my nephew to that um, that singing competition, so I really didn't put two and two together, and then my mom called and told me that my dad was dead and they didn't know where my nephew was. This little girl uh, came to me through adoption. Um, I was there when she was born. Her name was Amanda Dawn Maxwell, the sweetest little girl in the world. And uh, she became my all-in-all. Amanda loved God big time. And we were very active in the church. Dave and I had been in youth ministry for six years. So we went with them as sponsors on a trip to camp. Um, one charter bus showed up a little bit late. That's the one that Amanda got on. We were on the other bus in front of her. It was a beautiful day. Um, we took off about 9 in the morning, and um, Amanda's bus crashed. The driver had not had enough sleep, and he ran into an overpass, instantly killing himself, four kids, um, injuring I believe it was 38 others. Nine were care flighted with broken backs, necks, and my daughter was one of them that was killed instantly. This is not... a series of messages that I want to share. It is one that I am compelled to share. One that no one wants to hear, but everyone needs to hear it. Because pain 
is real. Suffering is a reality. Loss will affect us all. People's life will be taken far too short. And we take life far too much for granted. You're sitting on a row right now with people. Some you know, some you don't know. Some that you don't know right now, I can only imagine what they're going through. Some of them are feeling pain that, that is radiating throughout their body, that's been there for years, that they've masked, that they've medicated, that they have positive energy thought it out, that they have done everything they can to numb the pain, but the pain and loss and the suffering is still there. And you don't know who they are. But you sit on the same road just a few feet from them. And for some of you, sad to say, you might be married to one of those who have experienced such pain and injustice in their own life that they've never told anybody, not even you. For decades you've been married, but you don't know what they've gone through. You don't know what they suffered. You don't know the injustice. While we were here on Christmas Eve night, we were celebrating with a candlelight service and we were all preparing to go home and be nestled in our beds and have sugar plums dance in our head and open up the gifts the next day and to be with family and share a meal together. Larry Robinson, one of the deacons of our church, was in the hospital having part of his colon removed because he found out just a few weeks prior to that that he had colon cancer. And since they've removed part of his colon, they've also found that in other parts of his body there are bits of cancer that he will be fighting now for the next six months going through chemotherapy. Bob Myers wrote his Christmas letter, another one of our deacons, and handed it out to all of us at our last SALT meeting where we got together. I went into my office and I opened it up. I thought it was going to be like every other Christmas letter that everybody passes out at Christmas time. It was going to have all the goods and the, and the sweets and the niceties and the accomplishments. And, and, and all of a sudden, it wasn't that. It started talking about after 20-something years of working for a company, he got laid off in a restructuring about his sudden death of his, his brother who was the caretaker of his father, and his father has fallen and had been in the hospital, and then now who was going to take care of dad? He talked about how Jeanette, his mother, had been diagnosed with breast cancer this past year and how also uh, Jeanette's father had passed away all within the past 12 months. And that was just a few group of men that I'm with that are going through some sort of tragic season of their life. But one of the things that they included, the Myers included in their letter was a quote by Robert Brown Hamilton. And it stuck with me. In fact, it's how they opened up their letter. And I, they had me at that point. I walked a mile with pleasure. She chatted all the way but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow and ne'er a word said she, but oh, the things I learned from her when sorrow walked with me. 
people that are sitting next to you and the people that you know very well, people are hurting deeply. How do you talk to them? How do you relate to them? How do you walk beside them? Do you just kind of give them some platitudes and just say everything will be okay? Do you, do you try to cover it up with some kind of niceties? Or do you ignore it all together and don't talk about the loss and the pain? And that's the worst thing you could do because they're grieving over here trying to sort out life and they don't have anybody to talk to. So what is the answer to this pain and how do we make sense of it? Is God not big? Is God the God of the universe who can speak the world in existence? Can he take pain and suffering and injustice away? The reality is, is that pain and suffering and injustice and every other word you want to put in there will be a reality of this world till the day that we die. In fact, the mere stating of the word death in itself is a statement that relates back to pain, that relates back to the fall of man, that relates back to Genesis chapter 3. When in Genesis chapter 3, we're told that life will be full of pain. We're told in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15 that there's going to be enmity, there's going to be warring, there's going to be fighting between the spirits of this world and, 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 our, and our lives. He, he said there's going to be multiplied pain in childbirth. He said there will be pain. Even as you eat, there will be pain. Pain did not exist prior to this. But the sad reality is that pain will now exist until the end of time. Pain exists until Revelation 21.4 says that we will wipe away every tear and their, uh, from their eyes and death shall be no more and neither shall there be any mourning nor crying nor pain anymore. We live between those bookends. We live in the reality of pain and suffering and injustice and, and how do you cope with it and how do you move through it and how do you go on? There's some people, they just say, hey, listen, just... Live with it. Suck it up, buttercup. You know, you don't know how good you've got it. Look back here at this person. Look over the people over in Africa. Look at it. And they just kind of have this kind of mentality. You don't, you're not going to get any empathy from them, okay? Just check them off the list. Don't, don't send them, any, you know, any, any sense or don't expect any sense of, of, of sympathy or empathy from them. Then there are those. It's not live with it, but deny it. Oh, listen, you don't want to think negative thoughts. Think positive thoughts. Positive thoughts because negative thoughts create negative energy in you and and negativity is not good for you. And so just deny it and move on. Listen, if you've been diagnosed with cancer, denying it can be one of the worst things you can do. I know somebody personally who recently suffered from cancer and waited too long before there was any hope of recovery before they went to the doctor. Denying it, blaming it. Blaming the suffering that we're going through on someone else. If you hadn't have done this, that I wouldn't feel this. A sense of blame. There's theological debates and arguments and 
perspectives on this. You watch a lot of the popular writers and speakers on television uh, in the Christian genre, and they will talk about how you should be prosperous and that you should be healthy and that disease is not of, of God and, and that you shouldn't have, ever have to suffer. And they kind of give this idea that it's u- utopia when you become a follower of Christ. And that if you, and if you don't have a, a brand new car in your garage and if you don't have zero health issues, then you must be living in sin. It's a theology of glory is what it's called. Whenever you believe that perpetual health and wealth should be yours because you're a person of faith. And the reality is, is that prosperity, name it and claim it kind of theology will leave you ultimately disappointed with God, disappointed with faith, disappointed with everyone, disappointed with your life, and you will have nothing to hold on to. Larry Crabb said in his book, Shattered Dreams, and if you're looking for a good book to read during this series, Shattered Dreams by Larry Crabb would be a great one uh, to pick up and read. He says, we declare that God is good when we ace the physics test, finish the law school with honors, when our son is offered an unusually good position or the biopsy comes back negative. God's good then. But is God good whenever I fail the physics test, when I don't graduate from law school and I drop out? Is God good whenever my son doesn't get a promotion, but he actually gets demoted? Is God good when the biopsy doesn't come back negative? Is God good then? We have to really think about our theology. Because I think a better theology is a theology of suffering. And that suffering is a part of living. Suffering is a part of this world. Pain is a part of this world. Injustice is a part of this world. doesn't mean you just kind of accept it and go on. doesn't mean you run towards it. But when it comes at you, we need to realize it is a part. Jesus couldn't escape it. In fact, it's said in Hebrews 5, 7, that his life was full, fervent cries and tears. If you were to put a summary on your life, would you put it full of fervent cries and tears? Because if you wouldn't, then your life must be better than the life of the Savior of the universe. goes on to say in the very next verse that he learned obedience through what he suffered. Suffering. Suffering. Pain. Loss. Disappointment. is a part of of life, can, can result in very good, can be very good in the end. We can't control whether pain comes upon us, but we can control what pain does to us. Pain will be there. Loss will be there. Injustice will be there. But what we are going to allow it to penetrate into our soul, into the bloodstream of our life, that's a different story. Even Paul in his own life, he said, his aim was. What is his aim? His aim is, I want to know Christ. Yes. Check that off. I want to know Christ. Yes. To know the power of his resurrection. Yes. I want to know the power of his resurrection and to participate in his sufferings. Oh, not that one. I'm two for three, okay? I'll take knowing Christ. I'll take the power of his resurrection. But am I really going to be willing to own up and to lean in and to take on the same suffering that he went through. The reality is, this is not masochism. We're not promoting that you go run towards pain, you go find pain. But when pain finds you, what will you do with that pain? 
What will you do with that suffering? I want us to read this verse together. James chapter 1, verse 1 to 4. We're going to read it in just a moment. But I want us to read this phrase, James chapter 1, verse 4. You may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Say it with me. That you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. Say it again. That you may be... It's a purpose clause. You see it's a purpose clause because of the word that at the very beginning. Everything he says prior to this is going to be leading up to this. That you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. So the real thing is, is I want to get back to the part before this and I want to understand the part before this because by all means, sign me up for being perfect. I've tried to convince the Lord that I'm perfect all along and it hasn't worked yet. But if I can get that perfection status, then here we go. If I can become perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, then let's go for that. But here's one of the things I want you to see here. He didn't say that you would be fat and fed and always have a new car in your garage. That you would never experience loss. That you would never experience injustice. That is not the goal of life, that you would never experience the sudden loss of a child, the unexpected loss of a job, or a relationship that you've given yourself 110% to, but somebody else was only giving 50% of themselves to, and they up and walk and take their 50% somewhere else, and you're left holding the bag. He didn't say that wouldn't happen. But he said the goal of all the pain, the sufferings of life is that you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. The title of this message is No Pain, No Gain. I know it's a cute, trite phrase that we say in our day and age, but there is biblical basis for it. If I'm going to be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, then I must go through the pain of what it's going to take to get me there. James chapter 1. Let's read it together. You follow along. Four quick verses. You can't miss them. James, the servant of God. James is the half-brother of Jesus, by the way. It's believed. James the, ser- James, the servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion. We're going to talk about the dispersion in just a moment, but greeting. So he greets them. He says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect. What's the full effect of steadfastness? What's the full effect of testing? What's the full effect of counting it all joy, even whenever there's not joy to be counted on? What is the full effect of it all? That you may be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. I want to talk about the value of pain today as an opening message. We don't need to all go out and look for pain. Again, I'm not uh, proposing that. Let pain find you. But when pain finds you, what can you get from pain? Some of you all, again, are living in pain in this very moment. You're lost in this very moment, betrayal in this very moment. What can you get from it? One value that you get is an opportunity to choose your attitude. 
Now, attitude is more than positive mental energy. It's more than just you saying, I'm going to have a good positive mental outlook. It is so much more than that. Let's distinguish between something else up here. Happiness is over here. Joy is over here. Happiness comes from the circumstances of life that go on our favor. We like to be happy. We like to be chosen. We like to win this $900 million billion, whatever dollar lottery. That, that We like those circumstances that come our way. That makes us happy. But what about when you don't win the lottery and you don't, in fact, you lose and, and you, you lost and there's suffering and there's pain and there's betrayal. What happens then? Where is the happiness? It's gone. Joy is the only thing. And joy is not something that you, is based on circumstances. It's based on something far more substantive inside of you. And it's just not a, a thing inside of you. It's a person inside of you. Let me say it to you like this, and you need to get it down. Happiness is based on circumstances on the outside. Joy is based on substance on the inside. If I have a substantive relationship with God, then there will be joy in my life no matter what's happening on the outside. Whenever life is falling apart on the outside, I can still have joy. And that's exactly what James is telling them in the beginning here. He's saying, listen, my friends, my brothers, my my followers with Christ, listen, count it all joy. Get your calculator out. And when you're computing life, Count it. Another translation says, consider it all joy. How many of y'all look at spreadsheets every day of the week? Raise your hand. All right, I want to see them all around the room. All right, you look at spreadsheets every day of the week. And what, that's, what are you doing? You're tabulating out cells. You're, you're tabulating out forecastings and all that kind of stuff. Listen, let's put a spreadsheet on your life. You put a spreadsheet on your life and you might look at it right now and say, well, I'm winning over in the family area or I'm losing over in the family area. I'm winning over here. I'm, I'm in a deficit over here. And you add it all up. And maybe you just say it's a train wreck. I see red everywhere on the spreadsheet of my life. But whenever you have a substance, a part of you, in you, pulsating through you, you're able to count it account for it as joy. You're able to look at the spreadsheet of your life and say, you know what? My health record's not very good right now and my relationship record's falling apart and all this is not not exactly the way the life that I dreamed it would be. But by all means, I can still look at my life and find joy in my life because of this mysterious, this mystical, this spiritual relationship with God that brings substance in when circumstances stink. So you're not hearing me saying, ignore the pain. You're not hearing me saying the pain's not there. You're not hearing me say the loss isn't there. I'm just saying when you're looking at your life, you're able to count it all joy. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Life principle is your attitude is your choice. The way you tabulate your life is up to you. And your outlook will determine your outcome. Dennis Whiteley says it like this, the winner's edge is not, a gifted, is not a, in a gifted birth, a high IQ, or in talent. 
The winner's edge is all in attitude and not aptitude. Attitude is the criterion for success, but you can't buy an attitude for a million dollars. Attitudes are not for sale. You look at the life of Job. Think about it, man. This guy lost it all. He had family, he had chariots, he had cattle, he had everything in his corner. He was one of the wealthiest men to live and to breathe on planet Earth. And he loses it all. He loses his family, he loses his, his health, he loses his, his fortune. Everything is falling apart in Job's life. He had more reasons than not to curse God and die. That's what his family said to do. This is not worth living. What does Job say? 13 verse 15. Though he slay me, I will trust in him. The very one who may slay me, I'm not going to lose hope in him. I'm not going to lose joy. I've got everything I need in him, even though my life may be taken from him. That's an attitude that I cannot explain outside of a supernatural intervention of God. Paul, sitting in a six-by-six prison, is writing a letter out to a church that's in freedom. Now, this is the craziest thing on the planet. He is in prison in Rome for being a Christian in a six-by-six jail, and he's writing to a church on the outside in freedom. And what does he say to them? He says this, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say, rejoice. See, circumstances did not dictate Job and circumstances did not dictate Paul's attitude, but it was an interior bubbling up inside of him. Something spiritual, something mystical that brought him joy. Victor Frankl, a a psychiatrist who lived for three years in the Nazi death camp. And as a psychiatrist, he watched prisoners come in. He watched prisoners being taken out and burned. He watched prisoners go to the gas chamber. And Viktor Frankl talks about he saw two different sets of prisoners in these concentration camps. He saw those who came in with doom and gloom and frustration and, uh, and, and an injustice and crying out foul. And then he had those that somehow they were able to rise above their circumstances and there was a joy and there was songy, there was singing and there was celebration even in the midst and there was sharing. They might only have a piece of bread, but they might take their piece of bread and tear it in half and give it to somebody in need. And there was a joy in them and there was a sorrow in them and these with joy are the ones that survived. He said the ones in the other camp, they either were killed or they committed suicide. Consider it all joy. Suffering has a way of giving you an opportunity and me an opportunity to choose our attitudes. Number two, it also has a purifying effect that takes place in our life. Purifying. Making us right. Testing of your faith. The word testing there is trials and the idea, and we're going to break that word down in a few moments, but you think of testing. When I think of testing, I think of a test. I think of algebra, chemistry, or biology, and you take tests to make sure you've done the homework, to make sure you've studied, 
You've applied yourself. Listen, the person who's going to operate and cut on me in the, in, 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 the, in the hospital, I want them to have passed anatomy and physiology freshman year in college. I don't want them cutting out the wrong organ, all right, or the wrong part of me. Take the test. We are going to be handed tests, given tests, issued tests for 15 years following the life of Christ and his ascension it was 15 years later, you read in verse 1, it talks about 12 tribes in dispersion. Who are these 12 tribes in dispersion? Well, see, what happened is the church was in Jerusalem for a lot of years, for a number of years, and they just stayed in Jerusalem. They met in Jerusalem, and then all of a sudden, a persecution of the church came up, and the, the, the church was dispersed throughout. In fact, you go over to Acts chapter 8, verse 1, and you'll read of what happened. It says, A great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem, and they all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Saul, who later becomes Paul, began ravaging the church. You talk about injustice. You're talking about suffering. You're talking about pain. You're talking about being displaced. You're talking about everything that could possibly go wrong with people, and yet they're followers of Jesus? Isn't Jesus supposed to make all the things go bad go away? No. That's that theology of glory that is not biblical theology. Theology of suffering is is that there will be a great persecution. There will be seasons of injustice upon us. But God uses that. He uses that to try us, to test us, to purify us, to make us what we that we could be perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. This is not a concept that's foreign to the Scriptures. In fact, in Isaiah 43, he talks about walking through the fire. In 1 Peter 4.12, he talks about a fiery ordeal. In 1 Peter 6 and 7, he talks about a fiery furnace. And the whole idea there is that God sends us through these fiery, difficult, painful seasons. I'd like to say days, I'd like to say hours, but many times they're seasons that are measured in calendar turnings, sometimes a very long time. He does this to build our character. He does this to sharpen us. He does this to purify us. John Ortberg said, he said, your character is forged, like this statement. Listen to the statement. Your character is forged when life does not turn out the way you planned. Leave that quote up there and read it to yourself again. Some of y'all are living with shattered dreams right now. Some of y'all are living with unfulfilled commitments right now. Broken promises. You've been pushed and you've been pulled and you're at your breaking point right now. In your life, when you look at it and you go, this is not what I had planned. This is not what I signed up for. That's when God does his character work on us. C.S. Lewis said it like this, pain is God's megaphone. You want to hear God? Go through some pain. You will hear him loud. Hopefully clear, you'll hear him if you will tune in to him. There's foundational truth in this one little statement in verse 2 that I don't want us to miss. One is trials are unavoidable. Notice that he said when. He didn't say if. When you encounter various trials, they're unavoidable. You can't 
escape them. There's no secret path. There's no be holy enough or go hang out at the church. Listen, there's trials in the church. Trials will ambush you when you meet, when you encounter them. They're going to come upon you. These trials will come upon you. And the word trials here is literally the word pyrosmos in the Greek, which is where we get our English word pirate from. Listen, this is not how a trial will come to you. It's going to wait till you're fully rested. It's going to wait till you're fed. It's going to wait till there's plenty of money in the bank account. It's going to wait until then. And then it's going to come up. It's going to knock on the door and it's now a good time. Can I come in? Because I, I, I got to come in. I'm sorry. It's just, just me. Nobody else is going to come in behind me. And we're going to shut the door. I'm going to put a little trial in your life. And, and, and then it's all going to be okay, okay? Just let me do this. No! It comes in like a waterfall. The pipes don't just get a little leak. They bust. You don't just lose your job. You go bankrupt. You don't just have a bad argument. It ends up in divorce. They come on. They come on strong. They ambush you. They're tailor-made too. Tailor-made. Various kinds. Various kinds. What may strike you may not strike me. Listen, we're not going to get into pain comparison in here. Well, you have a physical pain, but I have an emotional pain. Well, I have a father wound. Well, I have a mother wound. Look at my scar. Look at your scar. You know, we're not going to compare scars here. This is not that kind of what we're going to try to do here. What we're going to try to do is we're going to try to understand that you're going through a pain or you're going to be going through a pain and you're going through one and how can I walk with you and, and how can we work through this together? Number four, they're also, they pour down. They pour down. There's trials in the plural. And listen, it, it's sometimes, I'm not putting, painting God in a bad box here because God's doing deeper work than just making you happy and making me happy and keeping me warm and fed and comfortable, safe and secure. That's not his chief aim. His chief aim is to make me perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. And what that may mean is that may mean I have to go through trials to get perfect, complete, lacking in nothing. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 1, it says, God tested Abraham. Insert your name. God tested Mike McDaniel. God's going to test you. Heard a story one time, totally, totally did not believe it. So that's a, that's a preacher story. That'll never be true. It'll never hold water. I went to the library, the University of Arkansas Library. I found the encyclopedia. I looked it up and I read it after I heard it. It is true. You can look it up for yourself. It's in the yearbook of Encyclopedia Britannica, 1982 edition. The section is called The Unusual Events of the Year. All right? It's a story about a guy named Brian Heiss from Provo, Utah. Provo, Utah. He woke up one morning whenever the water was dripping on his head. He stood up real quickly to go deal with the water that was leaking up above him and stood in water. He goes and he rushes and he calls his landlord and he asks, hey, this is what's happening. He said, well, hurry as fast as you can. I'll come over, but go find a wet vac and start vacuuming up as best you can the damage that's been done. So he, Brian gets on his clothes, he goes downstairs, gets in his car, starts to back out, notices that he has a flat, somebody has let the air out of his tire overnight. 
So he leaves the keys in the car door open, runs upstairs to call his friend to call and, and to have him come and help him. And uh, so he calls him. And while he's standing in water talking on the phone, something in the water electrocuted him. And he pulls the wall, the phone off the wall. True story. He runs back downstairs and finds that him leaving his keys in his car actually resulted in his car being stolen. So his friend finally comes and shows up and comes to him and they go and they find the car stolen with still a flat tire. They fix the flat tire. By that time, the landlord has come and he's been cleaning up the mess and Brian needs to get ready to go for his ROTC graduation. So he comes up and he showers and he gets ready and he goes down and he sets in his car real quickly on his baronet or bayonet, bayonet, sets on his bayonet puncturing a part of his uh, backside, ends up at the emergency room getting stitches in his backside, and then goes home after that, calling that day an absolute wash. Walks in, no pun intended, the wash was so bad, plaster started falling off the ceiling, knocked over his birdcage, killing his his prized bird. He runs over to see if he can help his dead prized bird and slips and hurts himself again and ends up back in the emergency room. Finally, a reporter catches up to him and asks him, how would he explain the events of his day? And he said it like this. He says, I think God was trying to kill me, but he kept missing. (laughs) True story. You may feel like as if God's trying to kill you at some times when you're facing your trials. But here's the beauty. Warren Wiersbe says it like this. When God permits his children to go through the furnace, he keeps his eye on his children and his hand on the thermostat. He's going to allow you to go through pain and suffering and loss and betrayal just to the point that you think, I can't handle anymore. And then he'll put more on you. All of that is building character deep inside you. Number three, not only to purify, not only do we get to choose our attitude during this time, but also there's the development of a durability that we get. Psychology 101 will tell you when crises come, when stressors come, when you do two, one or two things, you fight or flight. You either, you either fight to win. I'm going to fight through this. I'm, I'm going to overcome this, whatever it may be. You fight to win or you flight to survive. I'm going to run from this relationship. I'm going to run from this job. I'm going to run from this trouble. And you find yourself in this fight and flight mood where you're just kind of, you don't know whether to fight or you don't know whether to run and give up. I want to introduce another concept to you. It's the concept that Jesus did. Face. Don't fight, don't flight, but face to fulfill. And what you're fulfilling is the will of God. When Jesus was on the night of his betrayal, on the night that he was arrested, on the night that, that uh, Judas sells Jesus over, what happens is the soldiers come in and they start to arrest Jesus and Peter wakes up from his nap and pulls out his sword and whacks somebody's ear off. You know the story. Jesus picks up the ear and he puts it back on him, heals him. And then he said this to Peter. Notice this statement. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father? 
And he will at once send me more than 12 legion of angels. Listen, Peter, I don't need you to stop the pain in front of me. I could have called the angels of heaven and 12 legions. Do you know how many a legion is? I had to look it up. I did not know. A legion would be in a Roman army would be equivalent to 6,000 soldiers. He could have called 12 legions. That would have been 72,000 angels. I could have called 72,000 angels to take care of this, Peter. You can't stop the pain that I need to face. I need to face the pain head on. Sometimes when we come to pain, pain begins to control us. We surrender, we give up, we quit. One of my dear aunts is passing away. And I, and I say dear aunts, I'm saying one of those aunts that, that modeled life for you well. Did life well. In a, in a, growing up in a broken home with multiple divorces, it can be quite tough. And you find an example out there. And I found it in my aunt, Dell and Uncle Alan. Well, Del Tyson is my aunt, and she is struggling with corticobasal degeneration, CBD. It's a rare progressive neurodegenerative disease involving the cerebral cortex. Basically, it's an atypical Parkinson's disease. And my aunt, who has been athletic all of her life, rode her bike all of her life, tennis, taught tennis, has been a counselor, started Fresh Roots Family Counseling. Some of you all even saw my aunt at some point, putting your marriage and life back together again. I've asked her to tally up because she started a counseling center in Oklahoma. It's still successful today. She's now started this one years ago, decades ago. It's still successful. And, and I look at my aunt and I go, you have impacted so many people's lives. And she retired in May of, 2000, uh, of 2014. And in June of 2014, she was diagnosed given four years to live. I don't think she'll be here next year this time. In fact, today is her birthday. I wrote her an email this morning telling her I was going to share the story about her. She's asked me to do her eulogy. That's hard. When you've got to speak for your family, that's hard. I'm a crier. And I've been working on it. But I felt inspired today before coming to church to send her an email and to give her her eulogy today. Most of us don't know what's going to be said at our own funeral. I don't know what's going to be said at my own funeral. But I wanted to tell her what would be shared at her funeral. And I just wrote it out to her and I just told her. But you know, my, my aunt's amazing. She's doing something right now as she's literally counting the days and the hours of her life. She's writing a book. Fourth chapter of the book, she sent it to me yesterday. I read it. It's called Acceptance. She was diagnosed, again, over a year ago. And in that time, she has learned to accept. It's the title of the chapter. Accept her death. And what is she doing 
knowing that her death is imminent, she's continued to live. She's continued to serve. She's continued to counsel. She's continued to give. And I look at her and I go, that's what I want to be. We all have a death warrant. No one ever dies early. We're all going to face pain and suffering. But let's accept the pain that we have and let's continue to live. And let's continue to give. And let's continue to serve. That's what pain can do. It brings everything into perspective. Finally, it brings beauty. Beauty emerges from us. That we may be perfect and complete. Suffering has a way of enlarging your soul. Suffering has a way, pain has a way of purifying your motives. Giving you a perspective on life. Suffering has a way. All of our pains that we experience in life. Listen, listen to this very carefully. All of our pains. That we, we will either serve them or they will serve us. Don't serve your pain. Make your pain serve you. Make, it, make the pain of, of life that you're going to go through, the, the broken promises, the childhood offenses, the post-traumatic stress syndrome, the loss of a dream, the loss of a loved one. What about it? What about the time you admit one of your loved ones into hospice care? Or when you're waiting for that biopsy to come back? Or when you're handed the divorce paper? When you're rejected? When you're living with a chronic illness or pain? When you move across the states because your parents moved you across the states, not because you wanted to, but you were moved across the states, and said, you'll find new friends there, and you haven't found a friend yet that comes close to the friends that you had before. When you're being told your skills and talents and experiences are no longer valuable and needed in your company, and you're handed a box instead of a cake, when you face limitations, I want my pains to perfect me, not to destroy me. I had a pain that I didn't realize I had until I went into kindergarten. And I didn't like school immediately. I had a pain that I realized in kindergarten that in first grade, Mrs. Kinney was my teacher and she told my mother that if I didn't improve by second grade, they would hold me back. And sure enough, I barely made it through the first grade did not make it through the second grade. And then they realized, they put me on Ritalin, they, they, they misdiagnosed, all this kind of stuff. And come to find out, I had this thing called dyslexia. And this thing called dyslexia is not a crutch for me. It's just a reality. And I didn't want to read, and I couldn't read, and I didn't like school, and I didn't like this, and and. I couldn't write and put a sentence together and I didn't want to and it was just defeating me. It embarrassed me. It humiliated me. It was a weight on me. I didn't ask for it. I didn't want it. I didn't do something wrong to get it. It was just there on me, attached to me. I hadn't read a book in that time I graduated from high school. People reading Moby Dick, I hadn't even read Dr. Seuss. And I go off to college, I immediately, I'm put in probation. It's like this stupid thing that I've got. 
somehow through all of that, God began to show me, you know what? Because listen, what I'm doing now, I used to go to my Sunday school teachers and tell them, don't call on me to pray, don't call on me to read, don't call on me to do anything. What the heck? What am I doing up here? I don't know what I'm doing. It's like I'm not qualified. Literally, I'm an idiot in my own mind. One of the verses that God took me to that became one of my soul verses, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 and following. Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest or the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks, exploits, and abuses? He chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies. That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by on blowing your own horn before God. That's why we have the saying, if you're going to blow a horn, blow the trumpet of God. One thing I've learned is what I'm doing here right now before you and each and every Sunday is I can't. I'm not capable. I'm not able And it's a pain, it's a thorn in my flesh. But by God's grace, through the pain of it, I will be here next week. What is your pain? Where's your injustice? How are you suffering? Would you bow your heads with me? I'll ask you a question. I just want you to... Real simply respond. If you're here today and you say, Mike, I'm suffering. Mike, I'm in pain. I hurt in my soul. I hurt. I hurt. Would you just lift up your hand and put it back down real quickly? Just put it up, put it down. All over this room. Hurting people. Pain. What is God going to do with that pain? What are you going to do with that pain? How are you going to allow that pain to shape you? I'm going to ask that any deacons in our room or any pastors in our room, just you'll, you'll just kind of come up here across the front. Wives, spouses, wives, prayer partners, if you can just kind of come around on the landing back there in the back across the front. We're just going to be available for prayer. And you don't have to come and tell us any of the dirty or the dark or the secrets. You just say, hey, pray for me. I hurt right now and I need prayer. Father God, you know the hearts, you know the hands that went up. You know those who have been struggling with pain for decades. And they've just been masking and medicating and even addicted to some of those pain things to numb the pain of their life? Or would you right now begin a work of healing here and now?
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.